This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about a cool limited run series that WFAE is putting out. It's called Work It. It's running November 13th to December 18th. And they're having conversations with people about their relationships to their jobs and how those relationships shape their view of the world. It's hosted by TEDx Charlotte organizers Stephanie Hale and Jill Byers, who follow their curiosities underneath the job and the question, what do you do? And into the beautifully complex identities of people we encounter in our everyday lives, from carpet layers to lawyers, barbers to burlesque performers and beyond. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm waiting for Amy to let me into the Zoom room. Please wait. The meeting host will let you in soon. Hello. Here I am. Hi, Elise. All right, let's get into it. Hey, y'all, I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Amy Westervelt. It's time for Labor, the social science on work, women, and motherhood. So we talk a lot on this show about the need for systemic change, that it's not moms who are failing, but the system that's failing us. And that's all true. But we're in a pandemic, a climate crisis, a racial reckoning, an economic meltdown all at once. I call it the crisis turducken. That's right. (laughs) And then you haven't even gotten to the election, which... (sighs) In times like these, sometimes we need to start small with the individual and our local communities and build that web that Beth Sowen talked about earlier this season and grow it outward until systemic change is possible. That's right. So with our last couple episodes of this season, we're taking a look at individual changes and change makers and how they might help us out of this mess. Today, we're talking to Leslie Ford, who created what she calls the mom's hierarchy of needs a few years ago after suffering a bad bout of burnout. In February of this year, as the pandemic was really taking hold, Leslie lost her job and then started a business. She's going to tell us how she found a new path forward, and we're going to get some tips from her on some small individual changes that might help all of us breathe again and become healthy, happy members of our families and our communities. Happy might be a stretch, but just... (laughs) 
functioning. More contented. Okay, that conversation is coming up right after a quick break. Dan Weissman is a reporter who likes a challenge. So he's taken on one of the most enraging, terrifying, and depressing issues in American life. And I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of competition for that these days. But I think we can all give a little love or love to hate for the cost of healthcare. And Dan is making a show that's entertaining, empowering, and useful about that topic. It's called An Arm and a Leg. Dan's a great candidate for this job. He's spent years turning nerdy details about big, confusing systems into human, compelling, and even entertaining stories for shows like Marketplace and 99% Invisible. This season of An Arm and a Leg is all about self-defense, how we can protect ourselves and each other right now, because the cavalry ain't coming. You'll hear from a woman who tangled with health insurance every day for 25 years. It was her job and she loved it. A woman who made huge sacrifices to keep medical bills from pulling her family under. In the process, she helped change the course of history. And a mom in North Carolina who has reached millions of people with TikTok videos about fighting off inflated medical bills and shady debt collectors. Oh, and she used to work for one. In the age of COVID and so much else, an arm and a leg is more relevant than ever. There are so many battles to fight. With an arm and a leg, we can enjoy some good company and good stories while we develop our battle skills. We may not win them all, but we don't have to lose them all either. Catch an arm and a leg wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with Leslie Ford, who came up with the mom's hierarchy of needs. Leslie, welcome to Labor. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And I love the name. It's punny. <laughs> yes, we're, we're very pleased with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we want to start by just having you describe what the mom's hierarchy of needs is in the first place. Well, it's actually a hierarchy of priorities and Unlike Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is usually presented to be very progressive, like, okay, I've got food, check, let's move on to shelter, check. It's kind of presented as this staircase that you climb toward your highest self. But unlike that, the path that we take as moms and reflected in the mom's hierarchy of needs, it's very iterative, it's very complicated, and it's a series of trade-offs at the big level and then at the kind of daily and sometimes hourly level. But it showed me that I was trying to do the impossible. We used to give ourselves permission, you know, pre-kids to do that when everything else was done. And I was still doing that. And everything at the bottom, it's never done. Like, it's never done. <laughs> yeah. And so... I was just kind of like, oh, here's my problem, right? So once I visualized it, I was able to become almost ruthless about my time and intentional in how I used it and made space for those things that I needed to kind of recover and rebuild. You said something in an interview that I was reading recently that I want to have you talk about a bit. Um, You said, I've been trying to affect change at the mom level, at the individual level. I know there's a lot of really complicated reasons this is so hard, but what can I do today, tomorrow, and next week so that I can breathe again and feel better? 
that's something a lot of people probably relate to quite a bit right now. Um, <laughs> and I think also this is something that comes up in a lot of realms, the idea that there's all this systemic change needed, but how do I start changing even little things now? Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, what you found that helped you kind of breathe again. And if you have any suggestions for people trying to figure that out themselves. Absolutely. It was a really significant point of transformation for me just to realize that I wasn't giving myself that permission mm. to do any of the things that were really important for my well-being and growth. And then I started taking this fairly slow path to make space for it. Figuring out what was really important to me was part of that process. Movement was very important for me, both to manage stress and to reconnect to my identity and what I was like pre-kids and perhaps even pre-career. Mm. So I created time in my days and movement was probably the first thing that I really prioritized in a consistent way. And it gave me the entry point to manage stress better and to have more resilience to put boundaries between myself and my bosses, my spouse, my, my work, even people in my life that I love dearly, like my friends and family. But I had to kind of establish some boundaries. I know you've started consulting with employers recently, too. I saw this good quote from you that said, basically, if you make work better for working parents, it'll work better for everyone. So I'm curious if you're seeing employers really looking at making changes, you know, for the long term for working parents, please say yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and I've been very heartened by that, right? In some ways, yeah. the fact that, as you described at the beginning of the program, right, we're awash in broken systems and the awareness for everything that's not working I think forces people to step way outside of partial solutions and go way beyond point solutions that might have been very attractive even a year ago. So I know, not just from what I've seen on the, in the research on the parent side, right? I know that people are suffering, but employers, by extension, because of just how they're comprised, right? There are a lot of parents among the employee base in any organization, and they're seeing the ripple effect, even people who may not have direct experience with caregiving and may not have quite the level of empathy at the start are seeing how this is affecting people and how it's affecting the workplace. So there's genuine and sincere interest in making changes in how work gets done. I've seen it with organizations in ways that I would have never expected. And you know, I'm thrilled by that. It started for me with looking at it at the individual level, at the mom level, like how can we get through today or <laughs> this week? But having some opportunity to influence the systems, and there are really four places that I consider the power systems that have a huge impact on the society that we live in. And Work is part of that, and it's often why women in general, mothers in particular, are not in a position to shape these systems because they don't make it into the leadership. They don't make it to the top of the organizations because of caregiving. So 
flipping that and creating space for caregiving as part of the human experience and allowing work to value that, I think would be incredible for everybody. So what does that look like? What what changes have you heard about or are being encouraged at certain workplaces that you like? I'd say flexibility with a capital F is one. Carving out spaces of time where people can take care of their families and or take care of work, not being back-to-back in meetings all day long, which has been characteristic of a lot of corporate cultures. And having people spending a lot of time working on talking about the work, (laughs) Um, spending hours, for example, writing something up that's going to be reviewed internally to make a decision. It's like, does it need to take hours of time? So I think deconstructing a lot of the process of work that has been incredibly time-consuming or put a premium on FaceTime and changing it so that you can engage with work and have meaningful decisions move forward without the same cumbersome process, for example. I love the idea that the pandemic might like put an end to dumb, busy work. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, wow, like this is, you know, revolutionary, but it's a big deal. Like so many hours have gone into those things. And, you know, enlightened employers are seeing an opportunity to shift this. And then also, you know, Childcare was never great for any working parent. And regardless of how good you thought you had it, it failed lots of times. It interfered with work lots of times. It was expensive. It was inaccessible. You know, all of those things. So having employers feel like they are partnered in the childcare issue, increasing subsidies in some cases to pay for childcare and allowing employees to have more wiggle room, right, with all the other expenses and financial hardships that are coming from the pandemic. Having employers be interested and involved in curating childcare resources and options. There's one organization where I spoke with one of their HR leaders, and they actually created an on-site childcare facility. They're in a unique position. They were able to do very rigorous testing. They have kind of a scientific research foundation to their organization so they can test kids and test caregivers like, you know, every week and do it in a very safe way. But yeah, it's like just having that so their employees could have some peace of mind and reclaim some productivity during what is a really stressful time. Yeah, Patagonia is kind of famous for being one of the first companies to have company-based on-site childcare. It really created a model for that. And I'd be surprised if we didn't see more workplaces in this big systemic change over or big cultural change of work that we're seeing post-pandemic embrace work-based childcare for their employees. Yeah, absolutely. Patagonia talks all the time, too, about how like that it's not just like to be nice, like it actually helps them retain employees and attract employees and all that stuff, too. So, yeah they can show up fully engaged and excited about work. Mm -hmm. And I'd say mental health care is another biggie. Like that's a topic Mm. that has grown, I think, in visibility over recent years. But a lot of people aren't doing well. Anxiety, depression, the need for access to therapy, the need for access to specialists that their children might have had through the schools 
But now that a lot of schools have closed many of their on-site programs and are in kind of virtual mode or hybrid mode, a lot of kids are not being seen by specialists they, they are used to having access to. So parents are scrambling, you know, for more mental health support for themselves and their families. And I'm seeing savvy employers recognize this and offer either better benefits, greater coverage in this area, and or looking for ways to curate it. You still have your children's well-beings and their activities and household responsibilities as the base, right? So how do you apply the hierarchy in the more sort of holistic framework where it says, no, I'm going to carve out time for my work and my healthy adult relationships and my self-care? Well, you know, if someone's children are not safe and healthy, they're probably not making a lot of space for self-care, right? Good point. And for I think for a lot of listeners and people who have the ability to think about these issues, they probably have things at the bottom pretty well covered. So they can ensure that some amount of their space and their time is allocated to those aspirational goals, which are pictured at the top, but really do need to be part of every day. I also wanted to reflect how iterative this all is, right? It's like you could be deciding that you are making space for whatever it is, your PhD program, your workout, and suddenly you could have someone open the door and throw up on you, or <laughs> you could suddenly have you know, a <laughs> child walk in and really need something and need something important, and your priorities are going to shift, right? You're suddenly going to swoop back down into the base if there's something uh, critical that arises in your child's life or in your family's life. So I feel like it, it is quite fluid. Leslie, you said earlier that we're awash in broken systems and now so aware of everything that's not working. That really struck me because we can see through your journey how a lot of the individual changes and individual problems really plug into broader systemic problems and the need for a broader systemic change. So can you talk a little bit about how the individual flows into the systemic? I mean, I know we've heard that hokey line, put your mask on first, <laughs> saying a lot, but that's quite relevant in some ways. Is that what you're talking about here when we talk about the mom's hierarchy of needs? I think that's a big part of it. At some level, right, at a, I guess maybe at a large level, having burned out, exhausted people who are feeling like they're on the hamster wheel of life, right? Moving through their days, moving through their schedules at warp speed where there's no room for error, right? Between all the responsibilities at home and responsibilities at work, no space, right? That's just not, it's not a healthy and sustainable way of living long-term. So to the degree that individuals have space and margin as it relates to their time and greater control over their discretionary time, that's good for everybody. Most of my career has been in corporate settings, even in the most return on investment oriented environments like corporate environments. People don't do their best, most creative, most breakthrough work when they are under duress, when they are feeling physically bad. So I think that ripple effect is very powerful and positive. I also think that structurally, you know, work was kind of not designed for caregivers. Um, <laughs> you know, the origins and the legacy of how work has evolved to what it is now, 
you know, was really from a different era. And the structure of it doesn't allow even just the kind of global innovation and change that we all will benefit from in the next, like, you know, decade or the next 50 years. Like, that's not going to come with this legacy infrastructure that we're still holding on to. Leslie, that's a lovely note to end on. Thank you. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about this stuff. So I really appreciate the invite. Thanks, Leslie. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Leslie Ford. You can find more about her work at momshierarchyofneeds.com. Amy, what are your takeaways from that? I thought that was so interesting. First of all, I'm so heartened to learn that like employers are spending money on consultants to help them make work better as an outcome of the <laughs> pandemic. I can't believe it. Like, wait, what? Like, which which employers? Yeah. It's like the only positive thing I've heard in weeks. <laughs> um, yeah. Good. And, you know, this idea that like, I don't know, that it's making employers think about all of the ways that work wasn't working before is, you know, perhaps a silver lining of all this. What about you? What do you think? I thought she was most compelling about the different ways that workplaces are going to change or trying to change as we come out of the pandemic. That's it for this time, folks. Thanks again to Leslie Ford. And y'all, we are about to close out our very first season. And we want to hear from you for our season finale. So if you have questions or comments or anything that kind of stirred you up this season that you want to talk about or want us to talk about more, please record us a voice memo. Record a voice memo on your phone and email that audio recording to team at reasonablevolume.com. That's team at reasonablevolume.com. That's right. And speaking of which, Labor is a production of Elise's company, Reasonable Volume, and my company, Critical Frequency. This episode was produced by Audrey No, edited by Rachel Swaby, and mixed and mastered by Mark Bush. We'll see you soon. And don't forget to send us your questions. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Elise Who, W-H-O, and Amy is at Amy Westervelt. All right, see you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.